being able to talk to somebody openly about what it's like to navigate a flare-up, how discouraging it can be to feel like the light at the end of the tunnel is moving further away. It's just really different when you're talking to somebody who really gets it and the quality of support and advice and tools that you get is just very different. Ellen and Claire Rudolph are the co-founders of Well Theory, a health and wellness membership that caters to people who have autoimmune disease. Well Theory was inspired by Ellen's healing journey from an autoimmune disease and the gap that traditional medicine left in her care. Tune in to hear how they are transforming the industry and putting patients first. Coming up, why autoimmune disorders should be on every woman's radar. You'll learn why you should trust your intuition in both business and health. How to create a scalable product with a personal touch. And finally, Ellen and Claire share their secrets to learning how your team works best. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Claire and Ellen, I am so excited to sit down and have this conversation with you today because the business the two of you are building is definitely going to help me personally with my health challenges. So I cannot wait to hear your whole story and journey of what you are building. Claire, I would love to hear, did you always know as a child growing up that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Did you have an entrepreneurial spirit as a child? I did. Thank you so much for having us, by the way. We're so excited to be here and it's fun to have an opportunity to share some of these stories with you and with your listeners. I don't think I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I did have an entrepreneurial spirit. The first business I started was Backyard Fun Camp. So when I was in middle school, like as soon as I could babysit, I started getting tons of babysitting jobs. And I realized pretty quickly that my friends and I could combine our babysitting gigs and create a summer camp. So we held this camp in my parents' backyard for a few weeks every summer, and Ellen was actually one of my first employees. So Well Theory is our second official family business together. But one thing I learned in running the summer camp was as an entrepreneur, you always have to shovel some shit. And in Backyard Fun Camp's case, that was like a literal job that we had. So we grew up with lots of dogs. And before campers would arrive every morning, Ellen and I would sort of negotiate who's going to go out with the pooper scooper today, who's going to get the, the grass ready for our campers. Usually it ended up being me. But I think now at Well Theory, uh, since Ellen's our CEO, she, she has her fair amount of shit to shovel as well. So we've got to share that. But yeah, really, I think early on started in the, the entrepreneur space. And it's been fun to get to continue that together uh, with Well Theory. Well, I know this podcast interview is not about your summer camp business, but I do have a couple of questions for you about that business. (laughs) How old were the two of you when you were running that business from the backyard? I think I was allowed to start babysitting when I was 13. So I think we started around that time. And I actually ran it for eight years until I was in college and realized I should probably get some other experience besides this. So did it for a while. That's amazing. Like, how did you figure out your pricing strategy at 13 and get the word out to parents in the, in the neighborhood? <laughs> Ooh, I don't, I wish we had a strategy. I think, you know, we had a couple line items. We had like construction paper, graham crackers, string cheese. Face paint was a core part of the camp experience. So at the end of every camping day, campers would get to choose something they wanted uh, painted on their face. So we didn't have a lot of costs. Luckily, it was a pretty you know, low cost business. But yeah, I think I think we just sort of figured let's multiply the number of hours by our babysitting rates, add a little bit for that extra um, set of supplies and then kind of go from there. I love it. I love I'll it. add that Claire did a great job of delegating at an early age. I was sort of our, our primary face painter. So that was my job <laughs> back then. But uh, as she said, the the tables have turned a little bit since that time. I'm like, things have definitely changed. Well, I would love to hear what led to the launch of Well Theory now. How did this company come to be? And maybe a bit about both of your backgrounds between face paint camp and launching this business. What happened in between? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. I can jump in here. So, you know, ever since I can remember, I've always loved building things and creating new experiences. And that ultimately led me to do my undergrad at Stanford, where I studied product design and got to learn how to build new products in the heart of Silicon Valley, which I think was really special. And I was always most inspired by digital products specifically. And so that's where I started my career. I joined Everlane, the e-commerce apparel company, as one of their first product managers. And while I was there, I helped to build their retail technology tech stack from scratch and got a front row seat on how to build a cult consumer brand. And around that time, I started to experience, I'll call it early signs and symptoms and wasn't feeling entirely like myself. And so I became really obsessed with the health and wellness space and kind of fell down the rabbit hole, for lack of a better word, you know, listening to podcasts, reading blogs, basically anything I could get my hands on that was all things holistic health. And from there, I wound up doing some consulting work for a direct-to-consumer supplement startup, which was just the two co-founders at the time. And I think for me, that experience really validated that my heart was in the early stage and that eventually I wanted to start my own company. But I felt like I had this gap in my knowledge on how to take health and wellness and integrate it into healthcare, right? Which is what led me to join Oscar Health, the health insurance tech company. And they were really focused on trying to rebrand the health insurance industry and make it more consumer friendly. Mm-hmm. And that was around the point at which I started to navigate my own health challenges, which is ultimately what led us to start Well Theory. And I'm sure we'll get into that in more detail. <laughs> but I think for me, I'll say that the it's definitely easier to connect the dots in retrospect on my career, but I think the main through line has been building strong consumer products for these cult-like brands. Claire, how about you? Yeah, mine is mine is a little bit different. I majored in art history at a small liberal arts school called Williams College in Massachusetts. So studied a bunch of different things, but majored in art history. And then I also made the leap back to Silicon Valley I love working and sort of mentoring people who want to make that jump uh, from studying something to working in something totally different. I think a lot of that for me, it was challenging to convince a tech company to hire an art history major. And a lot of people would ask, well, what are you going to do with that? But I I realized in hindsight, so much of what I learned is really relevant to the work that I do now in product management, making connections between disparate fields communication, collaboration, like so many of those things are things that I learned in my undergrad. But once I got to Silicon Valley, similar to what Ellen said, my mentor talks about the red thread in your career. What is the theme? And I think for me, it's really people. Mm. So I started out on the people ops team at Dropbox as a chief of staff. And at that time, the company was growing really fast. So I was really interested in learning what does it look like to grow really effective teams, really effective managers. From there, I learned I really like to be a big fish in a small pond. So since then, I've really worked at really early stage or growth stage startups. Um, and I transitioned at that time into product management. So I started out at Bill.com, which is a small, uh, which is a fintech company that helps small businesses pay and get paid. Love Bill.com. We're big users of Bill.com and Entrepreneurista. <laughs> awesome. I, I guess they actually recently branded to just Bill. So now it's just Bill. But yeah, Bill.com, that's really where I got started as a product manager. From there, I had a couple different head of product and product leadership roles. Most recently, I worked at Navigator, which was trying to help teams run better meetings. So I got to combine some of my chief of staff background with my product background to try to automate a lot of the things that can make running meetings challenging or time consuming. From there, I I joined Well Theory, and now I get to help people on their healing journeys and also help build a company. So really getting to use, use that passion in multiple areas, which has been really exciting. Well, you both have such incredible backgrounds, and I can tell with complementary skill sets, you are definitely seem to be amazing co-founders, and we're going to get more into the co-founder and sister relationship in just a bit. But Ellen, I would love to hear from you. Can you take me back to the day when you realized that you needed to create this business, launch this business, that there was, you know, clearly there's so many problems in Mm -hmm. the healthcare industry. And you were going to be the one to to solve it. Take me back to those days. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned before, building wealth theory is deeply personal to both of us because it all started out with our own health journeys. So 
A few years ago, I navigated a chronic health mystery that left me completely bedridden at the age of 25. And I started to experience a whole host of strange, seemingly inexplicable symptoms ranging from GI issues to debilitating fatigue, neurological symptoms, and so many more. And in that process, I went to doctor after doctor and got no answers. My symptoms were continually dismissed, and I was made to believe that it was all in my head. And I had many physicians that referred me out to therapists who could help me with my psychological issues. And eventually, I learned that what I was dealing with was autoimmune in nature. And I have a really distinct memory of getting my lab results while I was on the subway. I was living in New York at the time and just breaking down in tears because I didn't know what that meant for me in my future. And I vowed at that moment that once I got better, this was the area that I needed to dedicate my life to. And from there, I started to educate myself on what I was putting in and on my body, started to embrace using food as medicine and really transformed my entire lifestyle. And over time, I was able to reverse many of the symptoms that I had been experiencing and ultimately reclaim my health. And through my research, I realized that I wasn't the only one who's had that experience. There are an estimated 50 million Americans similarly suffering from autoimmune conditions, and the rates are quickly rising. And unfortunately, autoimmune disease is really, at the end of the day, a woman's health crisis. 80% of patients with autoimmune disease are women, and there are certain conditions that are 16 times more common in women. And so I realized that the way that we were handling things, the status quo was just not working and saw how many other women were just like me trying to live normal lives, but really plagued by these, you know, debilitating symptoms and that they needed to be seen and supported. And eventually that included Claire as well, but I will let her share her own story. Yeah. So I had a front row seat to Ellen's journey as her sister. And I remember there were a couple of moments that were really scary to watch as her sister and her health journey. I remember one time she was driving home from somewhere and had to pull off the road because she was having such an intense reaction and then going to the emergency room with her. Uh, And then I think a few months later, she was on a trip, like on a road trip, and her friend had traveled home. So she was by herself and got so sick that she couldn't keep driving. So I got on the first flight out to where she was and drove her back. So I had a front row seat to what that experience was like for her and and know what it's like to be a loved one of somebody and not really know how to help them. Although Ellen's a couple years younger than me, she's also a couple years ahead of me in her health journey. So I did benefit when I got sick from all the research and learning that she had done. So for me, similar to what Ellen said, I I had kind of a long, slow decline over the course of six to 12 months right after the pandemic hit. And after, I mean, dozens of tests and, you know, tons of doctor's visits, I finally figured out that uh, the root cause that was making me really sick was mold toxicity. And it turned out that you know, when when the pandemic hit, we were all homebound. And it unfortunately for me, I was spending 100% of my time in a house that had a toxic mold issue with water damage. And so I'm still coming out the other side of that. A lot of these chronic health issues are very long-term in nature, but I, I was lucky. You know, it only took me a year to a year and a half to get a diagnosis. For most folks, it takes four and a half years on average to get a diagnosis. And that's just not okay. It's a really long time to be living in uncertainty and to just not be feeling like yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I know if Ellen and I both experienced this, of course, there's a genetic component, but there are millions more people who are encountering the same problems. And so that's where, you know, for me, it was a no brainer, both as a sister and also as someone who's lived this to, to work on well theory together. Well, thank you both so much for sharing your journeys and stories and, It's so personal when we have these health challenges to feel comfortable that we can speak out and share. And something I've learned over the years is being able to speak out and share this information is what helps all of us be able to learn and connect and get the information. And the fact that the two of you now have created this business to actually be able to help people like myself personally, because I know I had already shared with you, I have MS and autoimmune issue, but I had toxic black mold poisoning two years ago, Claire, during the pandemic as well. 
fell because we, moldies. We, oh my gosh. And I see in, in the fa- these mold Facebook groups, I was in those Facebook mm-hmm. groups trying to figure out what to do. And there's tens of thousands of people in there. Like this is, these issues are affecting so many people. And it, it takes a long time, as you said, to really figure out what's going on. I was, again, lucky in the sense, unlucky, but lucky in the sense that in that we had moved when we moved during the pandemic down to a house that we rented for the first six months in Florida. And it was in that house, there was a leak there and Mm. that it was collecting water. So we actually realized I like kind of put two and two together. I'm like, could it be mold? Because I had started like Googling my symptoms and I have MS. So I was like losing feeling in my feet and not being able to walk. and, And I couldn't think and other things that were happening. And I was like, this is not my MS. Like my MS is under control. Like something else is going on. And then it was like, every single symptom with the black mold. And we had someone come out and test. He was like, get out of this house right now. (laughs) Like this house is poison. Yeah. So, and then figuring out, okay, what are the resources and who do you go to, to figure out how to get treated? And there really isn't now that now wealth theory exists, but before there was not a, like a one stop to go to, to figure out what to do. I was playing detective even initially with my MS diagnosis, trying to, you know, put all the puzzle pieces together. So thank you both yeah. for creating something to, to help. Yeah. I think part of what you're sharing stuff that really resonates with me is just how lonely it is to go through that process, especially when you don't know what's going on. And I think one thing that Ellen has talked about already and that I've certainly experienced is just medical gaslighting, having that experience of being told that it's all in your head. And to be honest, I had moments too where I was like, is this all in my head or is there really something going on? And I think one thing that I found useful in my health journey and also as an entrepreneur is just trusting your intuition. I think one thing that Ellen is a very determined and stubborn person, and that's really useful as an entrepreneur because so many people are going to tell you you're wrong or they don't believe in what you're doing. But one thing I remember watching Ellen and her health journey was she always had this intuition that I might've gotten 20 people who told me that there's nothing wrong, but I know that something's wrong. And I think you need that same intuition and to listen to that as an entrepreneur when you're building something. Absolutely. Trust your gut and you know better than anyone. You do. And we all, we, we have to have that belief when we're running our business and when we're having appointments with, with medical providers, because I always said, and I had a very complicated pregnancy, fertility journey, pregnancy journey, and learned a lot through that process as well. And doctors are only doing the best they can do with the knowledge and information that they have. If they don't have all of the knowledge and information, they can't always make what's going to be the best result or decision for us. But we know, we know our bodies the best for sure. I'm curious, Steph, what worked well for you on your health journey? When I took responsibility and accountability for my journey and didn't leave it in the hands of just thinking I would go to a doctor and they were going to solve everything, realizing like shifting that mindset to know that like I'm empowered I'm going to take charge. I'm going to take action and I'm not going to fall victim to a doctor telling me, you know, maybe all of these horrible things and all these potential outcomes. I was going to have to take charge and figure everything out myself. Now, I don't know that it should be that way. (laughs) I wish the, you know, the broader medical industry was better, but I have found a lot of help from more of the holistic healthcare community that really takes the time to understand the full picture, understand your whole body, and not just make an assumption or a diagnosis based on one point. Yeah. I think our belief at Well Theory is that healing doesn't always happen in the doctor's office as well. We know that from research that 80% of your health is in your everyday habits, right? It's the food you put in your mouth, it's your relationships, it's, you know, how you move your body and so many different elements and most physicians, they don't get significant training and nutrition, right? Going through med school, I think it's 20 hours or less. And so our belief is that it's really about kind of the in-between the doctor's visits that we found people really need support and actually making these kinds of dietary and lifestyle changes feasible in their day-to-day because we know it's challenging, right? It is. It's very hard. And it's definitely helpful to have the resources and have someone hold your hands and hold you accountable for sure. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we like to talk about wealth theory like a gym membership. And I think what you're saying, Steph, is true. Like, if you want to get in shape, you can have a great trainer, but you still need to show up to the gym for your training sessions. And so this is something where we see all of our members are really in a place like you're describing where they're ready to take responsibility. They have the belief and knowledge that there's more that they can do, even if they've been told that there's nothing to do. They know in their heart there's something else. And, you know, part of the reason that we designed Well Theory to be an ongoing membership is because, unfortunately, autoimmune diseases don't have cures. They're something that you manage. And we believe that you can, you know, not just survive, but thrive. And we want to really work with people over time to reduce their symptoms and to really create a life that they feel really great about. Up next, hear what happened after a viral TikTok. Alan, can you share more about what Wealth Theory is today, what the consumer experience is? And I would actually love to hear more about what you thought the business was going to be or the business model when you first set out to launch. Yeah, it's a great question. It's definitely evolved over time. So at Wealth Theory, we offer evidence-based nutrition and lifestyle coaching for autoimmune patients. And our goal is to combine whole body care, education, and community support to reduce symptoms and also ideally to help you feel like yourself again. And when Claire and I started the business, we had a totally different concept for what we thought Well Theory was going to be. And as we mentioned, both of us have backgrounds in product and user research. And so we're big believers in talking to your customers as much as possible, which is where we started in the early days. And the first step really was to just talk to other autoimmune patients to really validate that there was a need here. We sort of had this macro data that I alluded to, right? The 50 million Americans suffering from autoimmune disease, but we didn't really know if others had a similar experience in terms of sort of this circuitous, long winding journey. And we just wanted to validate that this was a painful enough problem for for other patients as well. So we set up a bunch of user interviews through our networks and through a platform that we found on the internet that helps you to easily recruit users and just start to talk to people as soon as possible. And what we heard from these early users was that many of them had had similarly long winding journeys to diagnosis and felt like the tools that conventional medicine was offering them, unfortunately, weren't helping them and that they often found relief in using diet and lifestyle. So from there, we sort of entered what I like to call the idea maze and landed on the concept for for Well Theory 1.0. And this was around the start of the pandemic. And so there was a lot happening in telemedicine more broadly. And the initial idea for Well Theory was a marketplace that connected autoimmune patients with integrative and holistic mm. practitioners virtually. So we quickly jumped into prototyping mode and we wanted to get sort of a low-fi solution out there quickly just to get feedback on it. And this is honestly one of my favorite memories in Well Theory's early history, because as part of this experiment, Claire and I recruited a couple of the participants from our initial user research efforts and put together a Google form that asked questions about their health history and preferences. And then from there, based on their location, we w- would immediately jump on, jump into research mode and identify local practitioners in the their area and just start calling them. And I think it was a perfect example of just kind of doing the dirty behind the scenes work and these things that don't scale in the early days, or as we like to externally brand it, a very concierge experience. (laughs) And I remember Claire spending many hours on hold with one of the participants, insurance companies, just trying to validate whether or not one of the providers would be covered. So I think we quickly realized that this marketplace model was going to be really challenging to scale with both the supply and demand. Mm -hmm. And I think our aha moment was in realizing that it was really about the relationship that our participants built with their practitioners. And I think we wanted to take a lot of that magic and own the experience more full stack, which is what led to Wealth Theory, where we are owning a little bit more of that member experience directly. I do have to ask, you mentioned a software tool that you use to do uh, member surveys Mm. or research. Do you remember the name of that tool and do you recommend it? Claire, I think it was userinterviews.com. Is that right? I think so. It was a couple of years ago now, but we use, use, I think we used userinterviews.com. We also use usertesting.com. That's another great place that we rely on for just really quick feedback. It's kind of like 
I always joke that I'm, you know, popping my popcorn and get, getting the bowl of popcorn ready for when the sessions come back and you get to listen to feedback. And that's always like an early Christmas for me. So yeah, I think those are the, the two tools that we've relied on. We also, though, you know, went into Facebook groups for different autoimmune conditions and would also just talk to people there as well. What is the experience like now? So if I were to become a member of Well Theory, what, what can I expect? So we offer twice a month sessions with your care team. So when you first get on board, we do a very comprehensive intake process. We also have a nutritional assessment questionnaire that you fill out so we can help to map what symptoms you might be experiencing and, and where those might be coming from, from different systems in your body. So that's often an early aha moment for our members is seeing, oh, you know, I'm having issues with blood sugar. That's why I have headaches or things like that. So we start there. As Ellen said, you know, I think the average doctor's appointment with your primary care doctor is 18 minutes. With us, you get an hour for your intake and then you're spending 30 minutes twice a month with your care team. So similar to that, like gym membership analogy, I think there are a couple of things that are really important to us about those biweekly appointments. One is healing takes a lot of work. And so by actually chipping away at it a couple of times a month, you can really build a ton of momentum and make a lot of progress, which is hard to do when you're seeing a doctor once or twice a year. The other piece is, you know, we've recruited a a care team that really gets it because they've also lived with autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. And so you're not only getting a registered dietitian or a certified nutritionist, as well as a certified health coach. So you're getting nutrition and behavior change support, but also everybody on our care team has their own experience with chronic illness or with autoimmune disease. So you're getting a ton of training as well as a lot of lived experience. People have been there and done that. So I think that an important part of the healing journey is really being heard, like Mm -hmm. not being rushed and being able to share your story with somebody who's empathetic and really gets it. I actually had an appointment with my uh, Well Theory nutritionist this morning and was just reminded of, you know, I'm in a bit of a bump in my health journey right now. And just being able to talk to somebody openly about what it's like to navigate a flare up, Mm -hmm. how discouraging it can be to feel like the light at the end of the tunnel is moving further away. It's just really different when you're talking to somebody who really gets it and the quality of support and advice and tools that you get is just very different. But yeah, uh, so going back to the membership, we offer twice a month appointments, unlimited messaging. So if anything comes up, if you have a flare up, if you have questions, you can always message your care team in between. We also have a supportive community of all of our members who are navigating their own health journeys that you can lean on, as well as events and resources that we share. Anything I missed, Ellen? No, I think you hit the nail on the head with most of it. The only thing I'll add is uh, because stuff you mentioned your own journey navigating mold, which as Claire said, we both navigated as well. We do offer specialty labs that help our members to identify their root causes, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a big part of it as well, which is understanding what's actually contributing to your autoimmune symptoms and trying to address that as well. I am just so glad that I know about Well Theory now because I have become this point person that everyone directs people to when <laughs> if anyone here is a friend of theirs was has been diagnosed with any autoimmune issue, MS, anything, they reach out to me and say, hey, Steph, can I connect you with a friend of mine who was just diagnosed? And of course, I always will chat with anyone to, to be able to help and point them in the right direction. But now... I can direct them to to you because a lot of times, you know, I have a functional medicine doctor who I who I see down here in Florida, but I can't refer her to everyone because she can only practice and see people here. And I talk to people from all over. So I'm so excited to be able to send people your way now to be able to help, which leads me to my next question. I would love to hear about your launch, marketing strategy, what tactics worked really well, maybe things that didn't work well and some learning lessons from your marketing launch? Where to start? There's so much to unpack there. I think for us, I'll talk a little bit about one of the magical moments along our journey in launching the company, which was a couple of years ago, I was scrolling through TikTok and had the crazy idea to share my health story publicly on the platform in the hopes that I could help someone else who is navigating their own health journey, similar to what you were speaking to, Steph. And one day I posted a video talking about my symptoms that I was told were normal that were actually an autoimmune disease. 
And to my shock, it went viral. <laughs> and 1.6 million wow. people watched that video. And as I was sifting through, you know, there were thousands of comments. And, and as I was sifting through them, I realized how underserved our community was and how desperately we needed better support and tools. And so I think that was really a big turning point for us. And just, again, kind of recognizing the magnitude of this problem and that their stories were our stories, right? And we saw a similar response with our recent launch in Forbes, which also surprisingly went viral. All of my inboxes were overflowing with messages, people just sharing their own journeys. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just really incredible to see the outpouring of support from the community. And I think for us, it just reinforced all the more that us autoimmune patients are desperately seeking a better experience. So to your question about marketing, I think a lot of it has just sort of been organic and really led by our stories first, mm -hmm. because as we've discussed, so many people just connect connect with that and they see themselves and in, in what we're sharing. And so I think that's been a really important tool for us as we've been building the company. Any other examples you can share in terms of marketing strategies that have not worked for you? Have you tested anything that maybe didn't go according to plan? Yeah, I think for us, as I said, we've relied a lot more on some of these organic channels. We've seen good success. And I didn't speak to our, our blog, but we have an evidence-based blog on our website where we create high quality content talking about navigating autoimmunity. And so we've seen a lot of success there. And like I said, TikToks and these social media platforms, PR, I think where we haven't seen as much success has been on the paid side of things. Mm -hmm. Obviously, as we know, you know, it's becoming more expensive to, to run ads on different paid platforms, et cetera. And I think for us, you know, we saw pretty high cost of acquisition for some of our members there. And so I think that led us to really focus our efforts on a lot more of this organic content that we can control. And that feels a lot more authentic to our mm -hmm. brand as well. I think, like I said, education is a really important part of our offering. And so content is a key, key pillar for us in terms of our marketing strategy. As a membership community, I have to ask because we, I don't even know if we had talked about this before, but we have our membership community, the Entrepreneurs mm -hmm. League, which is our community for founders and leaders. And we had never launched a membership community before launching our membership community. So you learn along the way all about, you know, retention and different things that you have to put in place as you're growing your membership. Any learning lessons you can share about just building a business that is a membership model? Yeah, one thing that comes to mind is, you know, autoimmunity is is not a linear healing journey. You have better months or years and worse months or years. And we really wanted to create a membership that met people where they are in their healing journey and that could flex with them if they need more support or less support. So one thing we rolled out maybe six months after the initial one-on-one -on -one coaching membership was our maintenance membership. So if you're feeling like either you're doing a lot better and you actually just don't need as much support. You know, it's, it's great for that. It's also great for people who just need to take a break from focusing on their healing journey. It can be really exhausting physically, emotionally to pour so much energy into your health. So that's one thing that we learned, I think, early on is we wanted to have this be something that really could grow with people long term and be flexible in that way. I'm curious, Ellen, anything else that comes to mind for you? Yeah, it's interesting for our experience because we almost want people to churn, right? <laughs> we want them to get better and so they don't need us anymore. And so I think there's a little bit of this kind of push and pull there where we need to make the economics work for the business, but also we celebrate internally when people graduate from wealthier and can kind of move on to their next thing because they have their quality of life back and they feel like they can live a normal life and not worry about their health. I think the other thing I'll add, and this is something I learned from my time at Oscar, and this is specific to healthcare, but it's a highly considered purchase. And I know that sounds obvious, but this is not like buying a t-shirt online. <laughs> it requires building trust over time. And actually internally, we've sort of branded this as the courtship hypothesis. And so I think for us, building a strong brand is really table stakes, especially when it comes to cultivating this consumer mm -hmm. trust. And 
even though we had limited resources and budget in the early days, we really invested heavily in our visual brand in the early days and how that comes across every touch point in a wealthy member's journey. So interesting. Thank you both for sharing that. Ellen, I would love if you could speak to a bit about your experience during during the fundraising process. I know you successfully have now raised a round of capital and saw the articles about it and the celebration. And I personally know how hard it is to raise capital and especially for women to be able to raise capital. And we are trying to change those statistics by helping get as many women founders to grow, build, sell businesses, have as much cash as possible to invest in other women. But all of this is going to take time. So you have now done it. You have beat the odds. Tell me about the process. What worked really well for you? Learning lessons. What can our entrepreneurs who are listening and are either about to start the process or are currently fundraising learn from your experience? The fundraise was definitely challenging, I will say. And I think it was a challenging time to be fundraising as well, just given the macro climate. And to your point, I think I read that in 2022, women raised about 2% of all venture funds allocated, which is the lowest that it's been since 2016. So it makes it it makes me cry. I like I I know. It's just it's so awful. And we are on a mission at Entrepreneurista and through other things that we are involved in to change that. And we all have to help each other and share these stories and learning lessons right. to, to, to make a difference. So, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's really unfortunate that things aren't trending in the right direction. And I won't lie, there is definitely gender bias in the fundraising process. And I certainly experienced it firsthand. I got pushback from male VCs in particular and a lot of skepticism about the market and whether it was too niche. And so for me, one of the explicit goals when we went out to fundraise was that I really wanted to have a female partner lead our round if possible. As I mentioned before, autoimmune diseases disproportionately affect women and women tend to be the ones who are taking care of the household from a healthcare perspective, right? We kind of deem them as our chief medical officers. And so it was really important for me just to have investors on our cap table who really got it. I think if I were to go back in time and give myself advice, I would tell myself not to burn energy on the maybes. I think that good investors can get to a yes quickly, especially if the deal is moving fast. And unfortunately, investors have very little incentive to say no. And at the end of the day, all you need is one person to believe in your vision and be willing to make the bet on you as a founder. That is such great advice. And we just recorded an episode. And if you don't already know her, I'll connect you with her. Andrea Epolito, she's the founder of Simply Fed. And she said what you were saying too: get to that fast no with these investors, mm-hmm. because otherwise you will just waste a lot of time that you definitely don't have. So (laughs) such great advice. And I'll definitely connect you because she's in the health space too. Her business is called Simply Fed. She has a platform to help women with their feeding journey for Mm. babies. So I think there's actually probably good synergy and maybe even a brand partnership that could happen from that connection. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Would love to chat with her. Any other advice you can share about the fundraising process for our entrepreneurs who are currently yeah. raising capital and out there and giving it their all? <laughs> Stay resilient. No, I think this is largely inspired by my background in products, but I think my biggest piece of advice is to treat your fundraise like a product. So I almost thought of every prospective investor that I met with as my target user and pretended that I was almost conducting user research with every single pitch. So even though you're going to be the one who's primarily getting asked questions, I think it's really valuable just to identify themes around the questions you're getting asked, any feedback you're getting, and then revise your deck and pitch accordingly. And in a similar vein, I would say never miss an opportunity to iterate on your deck. Every single meeting and interaction that you have is an opportunity to tweak your message, add different slides. And so... That would be my biggest piece of advice, which is to really think about it as a product. Such great advice. Coming up, the secret to learning how your team works best. (laughs) 
All right, Ellen and Claire, this is a fun segment we love to do. I'm going to ask you both a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words or ideas that come to your mind, but rapid fire, super fast. You ready? Ready. We're ready. All right, Claire, describe Ellen in three words. Ooh, I would say uh, determined, analytical, and detail-oriented. And Ellen, same question for you about Claire. Describe Claire in three words. That's a tough one. I'm going to go with empathetic, thoughtful, and creative. Claire, what is your favorite business tool or solution that you've used to help navigate the business or grow the business? Honestly, I mean, this is more of a personal tool, but I love Workflowy. I use that for my to-do list. I've tried every to-do list out there and I love Workflowy. It's just, it's kind of like a bullet journal, but digital works great for me. All right. We're going to check that out. I don't know that one. I love, I love hearing what everyone loves. Ellen, how about you? <laughs> F- favorite business to learn solution? I'm going to go with Notion. Claire's going to laugh at this because there are definitely some challenges with Notion and there's a question about scalability, but my entire life lives in Notion planned down to the minute. So that's definitely the tool I couldn't live without. Claire, do you have a hidden talent? Ooh, I don't know, Ellen, do I? I think I'm a big knitter. Our mom loves to knit. She taught us both when we were five years old. So I'm currently working on my first sock, which is quite exciting. Very cool. That's definitely hidden talent. We would have never (laughs) known that about you. (laughs) Ellen, how about you? Hidden talent. I'm strangely really good at physical puzzles. I think it was because I grew up doing them. Like we always had a puzzle around and I find it really therapeutic almost just to do something with your hands. But I don't know. I feel like I have some weird visual capabilities that (laughs) enable me to be really good at them. But that's my strange hidden talent. That's awesome. All right, Elle, this is for you. What is the craziest thing that has happened as you've been building this business? Oh, gosh. I think, I mean, I touched on TikTok before. That was def- That was pretty crazy. I mean, my platform has over 17 million video views, which just boggles my mind. I can't imagine. I try hard not to think about it too much because it kind of weirds me out. But I think a lot of it has just been the reception, like I said, from the community, whether it's TikTok or the Forbes article. I think that's that has really blown me away and been, been in my in my view, the craziest thing that's that's happened. How about you, Claire? Craziest thing that's happened since building this business? Watching Ellen get millions of views on her videos. <laughs> I think, I, you know, you watch that stuff, but no, I never knew anyone who had done that before. So it was just, I mean, I went to school with Ellen. So I remember, you know, we would be up in front of a couple hundred people like in a play or something like that. But just imagining 1.6 million people in an amphitheater watching my sister is pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I would say the, the funny thing is that despite having a very public presence on TikTok, in reality, I'm incredibly private and an introverted person. And my partner also teases me about this all the time, how I'll share very few details about my day, but at the same time, I'm sharing my deepest, darkest secrets on the internet with total <laughs> strangers. So Like I said, I try hard not to think about it too much because it weirds me out. (laughs) Oh, we're going to go back to our regularly scheduled questions now. And I actually want to get deeper about this because I think this is a really interesting conversation, especially as founders, you're leading teams, you're pitching investors, you're in the public eye, you're building this business in the public eye. And then as a, a private person or maybe an introvert, it can be really hard. And people don't believe me when I tell them, like I get social, like when I go out or um, with a lot of people, like I get social anxiety. They're like, how is that even possible? Like you're yeah. on a podcast, you're interviewing people, you're speaking at all these events. I'm like, I know, but when I'm in a group of 20 people at an event, I get social anxiety. At, like, how do you manage that? And, and those emotions and feelings and tell me how you get through it all. <laughs> I think the biggest thing for me is just knowing that I need a lot of downtime and particularly solo time to recharge on the weekends in particular. To your point, Steph, I think it's funny that my job by nature requires me to be much more extroverted than I normally am. And just recognizing that that can be pretty taxing as much as I love it. Mm -hmm. 
I think just making sure I have some non-negotiables. We actually at Wealth Theory have created user guides on how to best work with us. And I'm very clear in that document that I need outside of, you know, the core work hours, I need time to just be with my thoughts. And unfortunately, my partner is very understanding and supportive of that. But I think a lot of it is just understanding and identifying for yourself, what are those non-negotiables? For me, that looks like going on a solo hike over the weekend, right? No podcasts, no nothing, just with my own thoughts and just setting boundaries, which I think would be really challenging to do, especially as a female entrepreneur and leader. It's definitely really hard, but I want to pick up on something that you just said. You have your team put together how to best work with them in the office. Is there a template that you have? Is there something you can share with us that we can share with our entrepreneurs? Because I've heard people share this before, and I remember someone told me about this and I was like, oh, I want to do that. And then I forgot about it. And now you're reminding me. (laughs) And I think a lot of business owners would find a lot of value in seeing what that looks like, being able to to share that if you're open to sharing a template with us after and we'll share it with our community. (laughs) Definitely happy to share. I think it's been really powerful for us just to identify, especially in a, I mean, we're a fully remote company. And so I think in that kind of environment, everyone has their own quirks and things that they like to maintain about their working environment and situation. And so we try and honor those, but we are certainly happy to share a template with the entrepreneurista listeners. Amazing. Claire and Ellen, I would love to know how you navigate your working relationship as co-founders and sisters. Tell me all the secrets and how do you make it work? Yeah, one thing that Ellen mentioned was we we create these user guides to working with us. And so those help a lot, just having to go through the self-reflection process of what are things I do that might annoy you? In our case, we already know a lot of those things because we've spent our lifetimes together. You know, what really gets me excited? So I think those user guides help a lot. I also have become really obsessed with this idea of work baggage and basically knowing like what previous experiences have you had professionally that have been negative for you where you might be carrying a little bit of baggage around that? So for me, you know, I've been in roles where I felt privately really valued and publicly really under-recognized. So for me, I've proactively shared that with Ellen and others, like this is the baggage that I'm bringing to to the table. I just want to be really transparent about that. And I've also brought that to people that I manage, coworkers. I think it's just really powerful. We talk so much about transparency, but I think it can be really scary, especially if you deal with imposter syndrome, which I think so many of us do. I know I do to say proactively, here are the things that are, you know, here are my warts, like here are the things that you might not like about me. But I think being able to be really direct and um, clear about those things and kind of own them in a way has really helped a lot. Building on that, I'll add that we obviously share a really special bond as sisters. And we've been really clear with one another that our relationship as siblings comes before the business. And so I think how that manifests for us is carving out time just to spend time together as sisters outside of Well Theory. And I think that's really important for us just to maintaining our relationship again as siblings. And we also just have a level of trust that I think is really hard to replicate with other types of coworkers, right, that you're just meeting. And so, I mean, I trust Claire to run with anything as it relates to the business. And so I think that's really special. We almost have kind of this sister, like six cents sort of thing where I feel like we, I don't know if it's telepathy, but I feel like we're oftentimes on the same page about a lot of things without needing to talk about it. And so I think that's really unique. And for us, I think it's just figuring out how to balance our relationship as sisters, which comes first with also being co-founders and partners in this business together. I love hearing that. And I think regardless of being sisters or not, as co-founders in business, trust is absolutely everything. And if Courtney were on here right now, we would be talking about this together because that is why we've been in business together, Courtney and I, for 10 plus to 11 years now. And if you don't have trust in your business partner, it's hard to run a really good business. You really have to know that they are going to have your back and be there and you can you know, have the same vision and, and you're building together. So thank you. Thank you both for sharing that. Claire, I have to ask you, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? I think for me, it really means creating something from nothing, you know, whether it's a summer camp in your backyard 
or you're trying to build a big company helping folks with autoimmune disease. I think it really means just being a positive force in other people's lives, getting to be creative, affecting change in a way that's personally meaningful. I know listening to other episodes on your show, it's so clear how personally connected everyone is to what they're doing. And you have to be when you're you know, creating something from scratch. So I think for me, that's what being an entrepreneur means. Ellen, how about you? To me, being an entrepreneur means paying it forward to other female founders and leaders. I think it's about sharing lessons learned and building each other up. As they say on TikTok, no gatekeeping. (laughs) And I'm a really big believer that a rising tide lifts all boats. And so for me, I think being an entrepreneur comes back to just supporting one another on this journey because it's really challenging. Ellen, Claire, thank you so, so much for sharing your journey, your personal journey, your business journey, how you've brought it all together and built this incredible platform, resource, and community for people that are struggling with autoimmune issues. I am so excited to continue to follow both of you and the business and hopefully become a a member or customer as well. For our listeners who may be interested in learning more about Wealth Theory and becoming a member, what's the best place for them to follow you, find you, and do so? So if you or a loved one have an autoimmune condition and you're looking for support on your health journey, you can check out our website at www.wealththeory.com. And I think it's a great jumping off point, no matter where you are in your journey. From there, you can do everything from booking a free consult with us to figure out if Wealth Theory is a good fit for you. And we also have a number of free resources that help you to figure out how to navigate your autoimmune disease. And also for Entrepreneurista listeners, we're actually offering a special discount code, which is Entrepreneurista for a special discount off your first month. And if you are on TikTok, you can also follow along there. My handle is Ellen Rudolph nine, and it's really an unfiltered look into my personal autoimmune journey and the stuff that I didn't know that I wish I had known earlier on. My hope is that it will help others with autoimmune disease shortcut the healing journey. Ellen, Claire, thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.